another deep dive episode of Hell in a Cell Phone, the podcast where we attempt to make sense of the attitude error of WWE 20 years later. I'm Aaron Benoit, your host, joined as always by our wrestling historian, Bobby Hankinson. Hello, hello. And the person who was forced to endure this for the first time, Eric Silver. Uh, happy to be on the podcast that is now working on a trilogy for deep dives. Yeah, this is going to wind up being a quadrilogy. Definitely got Our one deepest more. dive. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Quadrology was uh, the Who's best album, maybe. I thought it was a Prince album. <laughs> it was when, uh, yeah, Quadrophenia and Musicology had a baby, and it's called Quadrology. And it fucked. <laughs> so we're coming off of the Backlash pay-per-view, which ended with a cliffhanger ending. The Undertaker is in the front seat of a limousine, driving off with possibly Stephanie McMahon, but definitely a cameraman. Going my way. <laughs> One for the road. <laughs> Do you wish that I would drive you? I I, I couldn't come up for something. <laughs> uh, uh, excuse me, are you Stephanie? Uh, is this <laughs> Stephanie's does like the, the Uber driver thing? Yeah, Stephanie's like I I thought I thought I selected no talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you pick Uber Pool because we have a few more stops? Uh, Midian gets in. <laughs> and you know Midian's a talker, too. Oh, God. Uh. Yeah, I can definitely see Midian throwing up outside on, onto the outside of an Uber <laughs> in his lifetime. Midian looks at Uber pools as a good dating opportunity. Captive audience! He takes out that eyeball. <laughs> and the other thing we need to mention is that at the Backlash pay-per-view, Steve Austin beat The Rock again for a definitive time. Steve Austin is the WWE champion and The Rock, WWF champion, and The Rock is not. Oh well, I was gonna say I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting that like The Rock can be such like such a superstar at this point after like you know like what's the word convincingly losing to you know to people you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it, it's almost like uh the the more he puts people over the more over he gets yeah I'm with that i think i mean the, the thing the rock star power is undeniable i mean that's that's kind of like his whole thing it's that it's no matter what they do heal or face the crowd is eating him up they go crazy for him uh and he doesn't need a belt he doesn't need to be in the main event scene now. I think at this point, it's really clear that The Rock uh, is on the on the same level as Austin. Yeah, I think so. And we'll, we'll talk about that later in this episode, right? Like, uh, seeing what happens in the development. Yep, doing the math in my head and everything you said checks. And we can see this right away from the April 26th episode which starts with The Rock coming up, coming off of a loss and coming into a huge pop. We get the proto, finally The Rock has come back to the place. He still hasn't quite figured out the wording of that one just yet. Um, and then he's about to give Austin credit, but then stops himself to once again remind us all that Austin is the biggest piece of trailer trash that there is. But yeah. Did, did, was he talking? Is this the part? The the I mean, it, it's a it's a great promo. But was this the or, or you know like it's fun? It's always fun to see him. Uh, was this the part where he talks about 
the Brahma bull needing to turn his it, its horns sideways. We're getting close to, to go up we're, somebody's ass. We're getting close to that because first he needs to bring out the main problem, and the problem is a two hundred pound piece of steaming pile of monkey crap that is Shane McMahon. And Shane comes out and basically does a "You sir are the pile of monkey crap." Um, because Shane is just so far out of his depths when it comes to talking in the same ring as The Rock. <laughs> Shane's like, I'm a buck 80 tops. And that's when he, he calls himself the Brahma Bull, says he's got to sharpen his horns, turn the horns sideways, and uh, shove them straight up his candy ass. Why sideways? I don't get it. It's wider. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh, you don't want that... to go the easy way. Is that the sideways? Yeah. Well, well no. Well, I would think so. So putting bull like bullhorns, two of them uh-huh. are are on like a level plane. If it's just on a bull's head, but turning yeah. them sideways, I, I would think would make it easier access. But you're saying, Bobby, that it would be harder access, which I well, think no, tracks. They when they say sideways, I think they mean the widest width. Even uh-huh. though that would be normal ways that horns are sitting on someone's head, uh-huh. I think what they're saying is sideways in relation to the way that you would uh, naturally gravitate to inserting the horn into you, which would be like dildo style, the long ways. Right. And what he's saying is, no, 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 this is no pleasure cruise. <laughs> Turn it sideways, wedge it in, maybe use some kind of vice. I don't know. What's that thing that, uh, exp- or like a speculum of sorts? Opposite of a vice, a speculum, uh, to, you know, sort of widen it up, take it sideways style, and, you know. I mean, you guys have moved box springs before. You know what it's like. <laughs> how how do you... Are the, her, are, the, are the horns curved? Is that how you do it sideways? Because I just feel like you'd have the mount of the horn on the head that would get in the way of doing it sideways. Well, I, I also think this isn't real. (laughs) Wait, is he not an actual bull? No. And nor is he a urologist of any kind or, you know, any way to, uh, Oh, but not a urologist. What's the ologist? The uh, proctologist. 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 There it is. Uh, yeah, he's not, I thought, cause I thought, I thought the rock was an anamorph and he just becomes (laughs) a bull and he knows how it works. I don't know. I would watch that show. I would 100% watch that show. (laughs) The Rock as, like, sort of, like, Beastmaster or just, oh, my God, The Rock as, what, Animal Man? Yeah. I mean, you're basically just describing um, Teen Wolf, if you ever want to just crank that on the old MTV with the uh, super sexy muscle babies uh, turning into animals. Do they turn into anything other than a wolf? Um, I think much like True Blood or any of these other kinds of shows, I think their sort of uh, universe of monsters grew expansive over time. So probably not like an animal. I don't know they're going to turn into something normal, like a raccoon or anything, but I think they will, uh, you know, turn into like more likely like, I don't know, a fucking griffin or something. A were-raccoon would terrify me more than a werewolf. Because you wouldn't be able to keep it out of your garbage. Well, it It has like... It's tall enough. And it, and it's got opposable thumbs, so it can open doors. I mean, even when like I was a, a human. Like a velociraptor. Yeah. Or, or, as a, or as a, like, don't, don't uh, raccoons also have opposable thumbs? That's what I'm saying. That's why so the were-raccoon. Nothing would change. <laughs> it would just be a taller raccoon. Yeah, but, we're, but raccoons, they, they weird me out no matter what. 
Well, before <laughs> so before we get back in talking about um, me wanting to watch a television show where The Rock transforms into a giant bull. Um, did any of you guys watch the Thirty Rock special that was on recently? I did not. Nope. It wound up being just a huge commercial for the Peacock streaming service. And but there's one there's what a surprise. There's one point in there though where where he's like he's like Liz, I need you to watch all of these promos for shows I've got coming up. I'm worried that I Kenneth have done a bad job as the uh, the like the maker. And so I'm expecting like Thirty Rock type, um, Milf Island things. And the next one that comes up is a show where Hi, I'm the Rock. I had a lot going on in my life when I was. Uh, a kleptomaniac at age 14 and living in Miami and playing football. Come join me. in as we look at my life on the new show, young rock. And so immediately I turned to Natalie. I'm like, I wish this show existed for real. This show exists for Does real. It? This show exists for real. It's an that was, man, Do we have to get Peacock? That was a real. What is it? A, yeah. Yes, it is. It's like it's the whole got, thing. The whole it's commercial is like Peacock. It's free. I think there are tiers that you can sign up for, like, the commercial-free version. What's the tier where I just watch, like, the one thing I want to see? <laughs> the most expensive tier. They're like, no, the small, the lowest tier is you get access to everything, but you have to watch all of it. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, most exp- the second most expensive tier is, like, an Aaron Sorkin show. I was say, the cheapest uh, one is you have to watch the morning show, and they're like, wait a minute, that, is that on Apple Plus? It's like, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> It's the worst show. It's the worst show. It's the worst show. By the way, uh, I'm not surprised The Rock grew up a kleptomaniac because he stole all our hearts. So, The Rock is telling Shane McMahon to turn something sideways, which we now all know and and can visualize much better (laughs) when all the other things that he will be told to uh, turn sideways in the, the years to come, come up. Uh, and and the... each time we will think about mathematically how that object would work in three-dimensional space if it were turned sideways and then placed inside someone. I can't shut it off. That, yeah. That's our new deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> we, we call it a scientist to see how we could could mathematically... Yeah. I love it. It's like Mythbusters. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Oh. oh. Ash shovers? Is that what ours is? Yikes. Uh, that sounds like a show that would be on, like, uh, USA After Raw, and it's like an obstacle course of things that, like, hit you in the bum as you're trying to, like, cross a drawbridge. <laughs> in the bum? What are you, British? Is yeah. That... Yeah. Well, I'm, just, I'm already calling it ass shovers or whatever you <laughs> feel like. Is this, is this an international incident? <laughs> this week on Butt Shovers, hosted by The Miz. <laughs> Yeah, I'd watch that. Okay, too. so let's get let's get to Taker and Stephanie. I want to hear about them. <laughs> All right. So the corporation then attacks The Rock. Um, Shane uses the opportunity to choke him with a nightstick, and then uh, Hunter kicks him in the corner. We good on all that? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Backstage, Vince refuses to call the cops. Um, which actually, I thought that was a good like again. All of us questioning, this woman was kidnapped on live TV. Why aren't the police involved? Oh, because Shane is worried, or Vince is worried what The Undertaker will do. Thank you for giving me a little bit of justification. 
Yeah, I think in this instance versus some of the other ones we've seen with like uh, home invasions, uh, mm-hmm. where really the attacker has no leverage, and it's like, well, why, why wouldn't you call the, why would you call the authorities? Mm-hmm. But in this case, the they do have leverage, and so I, I yeah, I'm with you. I bought it a lot more. Also, like ninety five percent of wrestling kits are never tested. <laughs> They just they they don't even get prosecuted. Like there's just all the all the wrestling crimes they uh, they just uh, float by. I was gonna say, oddly enough, there is an actual wrestler's court presided over by the honorable Judge Undertaker. True fact. They have wrestling... on Peacock. <laughs> it's called. Uh, you oh. have to watch it. You have to pay us money if you don't want to watch it. It's a whole new spin on Night Court. <laughs> I can't tell. Where is Bobby, Undertaker's is court? <laughs> it's really on Peacock. <laughs> okay. No, it's not. No, guys, no, it's on Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you like them in quick bites. Oh. Um. Early on, we gave a lot of credit to Vince McMahon on his acting. Um, although at this point, Vince McMahon has gone to the, uh, Mitch Kramer dazed and confused school of acting to show you're exasperated. You just have to touch your face a lot. Uh, the, uh, the two, the two fingers pinching the top of your nose. Yeah. <laughs> My note on this was the same. It was just, this is glow. Like, that's what it felt like. It felt like that kind of level of like, almost like absurdist cartoony over, over the top dra- dramatics. Hmm. Oh, so I don't remember where my note fits in here, but at some point, is this when he gets the phone call? Yep, that's next. Okay, so yeah, that's the part where my note, my next note is. I think okay. Vince gets a phone call. We we hear Vince, you know who this is, and Vince answers by saying, "I know who this is." It's that's like, good. It's like acknowledge. It's like he thought he was doing the thing that they do when they answer the phone on TV where you have to um, pretend as though people can't hear what's going on at the other end, even though they're playing <laughs> the audio for both ends. What? The under... Like in, yeah, like, like in... A surprise like in assignment. Oh, hello, they do that. Tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. Los Angeles? You're sending a car? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you want me to come out there today? Yeah. <laughs> what? The Undertaker? With Stephanie? <laughs> And, but then you hear, yes, this is The Undertaker, and I do have Stephanie. <laughs> You're The Undertaker, and you have Stephanie. I am indeed The Undertaker, and I do have Stephanie. Do you, do you think that, like, uh, uh, wait, who who wrote the, who, who's the writer at this point? Vince? Vince Russo. Russo. Vince, I was going to say Vince Gill. Uh, <laughs> do, do you think, do you think Vince Russo was like, you know what? They never have the other side of the conversation. <laughs> Like, what if we cheat this out to the audience a little bit? Let's do both parts. Well, I think they were like, last week we established that Undertaker has a cell phone, so now <laughs> he's got to use the cell phone. Right. UT phone home. It would be it'd be really funny if if both sides of the conversation were both doing, like, the cheating out to the crowd. So it's just like, like, you know who this is. I know, I know who this is. You know who this is? I know who this is. They just go back and forth. I want you to come out there. You want me to come out there? You know I want you to come out there? Okay. 
I've got her, and she's real fine. Is she real fine? Oh, no. I don't like... So you're saying that she's real fine. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, by the way, so he's raping her, huh? Yeah. Oh. And there's more... Not There's more in SmackDown we'll talk about with that, too, but... Yeah, I don't. It's just a, what an unnecessary layer to add to this. Like, why yeah. even go like walking into that? Like, introduce that to the story. Like, why? You know, we've seen cartoon villains for centuries. We know what they do. We know how they act. You know what I mean? So, like, and this mm-hmm. is already a cartoon. I don't know. It doesn't. And it doesn't even feel like they're doing it for to add. Oh, we'll add gritty realism or it'll add anything. Like, they're not even playing it for that. Yeah, no. yeah, what they should have had was like a train whistle in the distance, <laughs> and you're like, you hear he's he's twirling his mustache, like, mm, when will you come and get her? Except he's not twirling his mustache; he's he's twirling those two weird forks that he had in his beard there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like, it's See, so yeah. it's so bizarre that they're like, well, to sacrifice them, we have to tie them gently to a symbol while they are clearly unharmed and alive and then just raise it kind of high off the ground but they're like okay great that's that's settled um if she's kidnapped she's just kind of like in the basement surrounded by lots of people and maybe like someone drew something on her forehead but they're like okay yeah we can't go too far we can't go too far we just want to do some marks on the forehead loose ties and rape it's like what how is that like you're so you're so you're like you're so pussyfooting around so much of this menace and that i'm not asking it for it to be more gruesome uh but i'm just saying like it's weird they choose to have so much discretion with this and then like but that's the well they reach so deeply into well they also they talk about rape and or you know like they allude to rape the same way they allude to consensual sex uh you know everything is always like last night was magical and it's like your daughter, do- your daughter is so sweet, and she, she looks like she tastes so good. And you're just like, it's a- again, it's like we're the minute we're, we're the ministry that can't tell a lie. Like I, I said, she's sweet. She's a very sweet girl. Like she's been very nice. She's, you know, organized all of my files. Uh, you know, like she, she wrote me, a, she writes me a card every day thanking her for putting her up. You know what I mean? Like it's just like. They're, they won't say rape, and they won't make her act like a rape victim, but they will, like, have them... It's just, they just want to do, like, the Cape Fear, like, sinister hinting, which yeah. to them doesn't carry the same weight as an actual crime being perpetrated. There's just a sense, and it comes through much stronger on uh, SmackDown, that they're using rape to add a like a salacious sexual element to it that's conflating yeah. like sexuality with violence uh and you know with sexual violence and assault and i think like that's like there's there's a line here that they are not towing at all they're like you know dancing back and forth on terribly uh and also like like you said i think the stuff that you're talking about that sort of like lurid way of like where it's almost worse to be like the you know uh, you, you taste so sweet and sugar and spice and it's almost like more gross to be like yo she's hot like you know i i just feel like there's like something almost more menacing mm-hmm. about it and that feels very from somewhere very real in Vince McMahon's psyche like that feels like that comes straight from him, and like because I feel like it's the, a, a vibe and a language use you you could track yeah. through through decades. 
Yeah, he's sitting over Vince Russo's shoulder going, Say her ass ta- her asshole tastes like caramels. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Vince Russo has to, like, cross shit out. Like, no, no, no. No, no, no. And I mean, Eric, we haven't begun to, like, really, really get into, like, the descent into Vince McMahon's, like, sexual kinks that we will be uh, forced to endure throughout our years together. Uh, so buckle up, buddy. It's going to be a bumpy night. What tier of sp- of, uh, <laughs> of of subscription do I have to pay not to, to be involved? Still better than the morning show, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, everything's better than the morning show. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, I can't. I can't wait for you to watch it. Um, also, at one point, the Undertaker goes, "Is that any way to talk to your daughter's soulmate?" And I was like, uh, first of all, Taker, you're really putting her up on a pedestal." I would have loved Vince to have like a very uh, Carrie Bradshaw moment there and be like, "Actually, I don't know if I even believe in the concept of soulmates. I mean, who's to say one person just has one soulmate?" <laughs> But Vince is given an absurdly long list of uh, directions to where he can meet Undertaker later that night to drop off documents that have controlling interest in the WWF transferred over to the Undertaker. Was it a parking garage at the Grand Chalet Hotel by the loading dock? Just say, like, the hotel where we're at because we're here for the yeah. Raw. We, like, all, we all booked the same hotels together. Yeah. Why don't you? Yeah. Can you meet me in the in the parking garage that's underneath the bar that we all drink at uh, just before have, we go to sleep Just have night? D'Lo Brown dr- pick you up at the same hotel and drive you around the block. <laughs> but it's not Vince who's supposed to show up. It's Austin who has to deliver them. Yeah, why? I I don't know. My read on that is it's a control thing. Um, he knows kind of that Austin is um, enemies with McMahon. So having to have McMahon humble himself in front of Austin is like further control in The Undertaker's court. See, I took it differently. I took it as like a, a distraction ploy. Because like Undertaker knows that, like knows deep down Austin you know, would try to foil his plot to marry slash crucify Stephanie um, at this Raw. And so he knows Vince will come because he'll want to be reunited with his daughter. And if he makes it conditional that Austin has to be there too, then there's one less person who could interfere in his evil plot. Like, I took it as as, as that kind of move. But does he know that? Does he know that Austin would, would foil a thing later on unless he... I, We'll get to it later, but the, I feel like the only reason Austin gets involved here is because Undertaker gets him involved. Right, but I think Undertaker yeah. gets him involved though because I, I just think he knows that he's the hero. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, that's just I don't know. That's how I took it. That like, no, if this was happening, Austin would definitely try to stop it. Even if Austin didn't, uh, you know, because Vince asked for his help to deliver the documents, he didn't ask him mm-hmm. to save his daughter. So his choice mm-hmm. to come out at the end is an Austin moral choice. Yeah, I'm, I wonder if, like, if the request was just sort of along the lines of what Aaron was saying for, like, you know, giving him something that he knows uh, will he'll fail at, you know, kind of like so so um, Undertaker has a reason to keep going with what he's doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, yeah have the president deliver these shares. Like, sure, if you can get him on the phone, go for it. And then, but also, there's going to be, like, 
in the future where we have to kind of go back and look at all of the moves of this entire story and kind of re-question everything because then none of it's going to make sense when we get to the bigger reveals down the road. Well, I'm going to say right now, I was going to save it for the end of the uh, the episode, but given what you're saying, uh, I have a feeling that uh-huh. I know where this is going and I wish I didn't. I mean, I've seen... I've seen like the, the the short video clip and I didn't have any context for the video clip. But given that Undertaker keeps talking about a a you know somebody a, a power higher than him and like sure maybe he means Shane or maybe he means some other masked person who is the you know really Nope, shut up Eric, him. you don't know nothing. Okay. Go on the ride. Go on the ride. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, um, Vince has to humble himself, ask Austin to be the deliverer of the documents. Um, every time Vince says documentation, it really takes the wind out of this wrestling show that he's put together. Yeah, it makes me feel like I'm at work. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Have some, some documentation that I need to deliver and. I'm not the one who's supposed to deliver the documentation. So if you would deliver the documentation, no, no wrestling can, show. Can you notarize it, please? <laughs> it's also one of my favorite examples of Vince McMahon thinking his audience are the dumbest people alive. Like Vince McMahon <laughs> runs a like multi-million, <laughs> maybe billion-dollar corporation in real life, knows exactly how business and legal processes work. But on his show, he's like, I don't know, tell the dum-dums. Be like, oh, I've got my business paper. Did you sign the business paper? Like, they, <laughs> they make it sound like, like we're all just, like, idiots. They have, like, no idea. They don't have to even bother to make it sound realistic when they could just as easily use the right word. Yeah, I was. I mean, I wonder if, it, if that's because, like, you know, wrestling, even though it's the Attitude Era and there's rape, um, I wonder if it's because wrestling is a is like a family thing, and so he's he's playing to the eight year olds and the ten year olds and being like, "This is what happens when your daughter is held hostage. <laughs> you give them a piece of paper." Yeah, that's the thing. I, I I don't think so. I think that really just Vince thinks that these are adults and they're idiots for this one, just because that play, that we've left kids too. behind. Yeah, I think he just truly does. I think that's one of the parts of you know they say that the best wrestling characters are the real performer that's like turned up. Um, and I think that's one of the real parts of Vince McMahon that's just turned up is like his contempt for his actual uh, audience. That makes sense. By the way, um, I was gonna, I like that the Undertaker starts like becoming the um, the record producer from Boogie Nights when Vince is telling him that he can't get Stone Cold or that it'll be hard. He's like, "That's a YP, not an MP." And <laughs> Vince is like, "I don't get these technical terms." <laughs> Sorry, deep cut, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I want to go. So uh, so Vince is, is humbling himself and asking Austin. And, and Austin makes Vince say Vince McMahon needs Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then Stone Cold says that Vince McMahon has been making his life a living hell for the past 15 months. But I want to posit to you guys, who has been making whom's life more of a living hell? Is it Vince to Austin or is it Austin to McMahon? I think it's whom's has been making whom's <laughs> life. 
That's that's my answer to that. For whom's life are you making? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a pretty even split of torment and misery. I think Austin has the general upper hand uh, in the way that sort of like, you know, Team Rocket doesn't usually end up on the, on, on the winning end of the spectrum. But I think Vince, I, I think uh, not for Vince's lack of trying. I don't think anybody's life has been a living hell. Like, they seem like they're doing fine. Austin gets, like, five beers every pay-per-view. He, likes he had the crowd adores him. He's just pouring it all over his face. He looks like he's having a great time. I mean, I don't if Vince's late, later, like, his current troubles are basically due to Undertaker. I mean, did Vince pee himself? Yes. But, like, ah. <laughs> uh, All right. I don't know. I, I feel like living hell is thrown around a lot, and uh, we should have a little bit. Now that we are in a living hell, <laughs> I think we should say. have a little more consideration for what the living hell constitutes. So backstage, Vince says he's going to deliver it himself, and also back show Big Show in a very short segment. Bag Show. Big what? Oh, did you say Bag Show? Because that's a, that's funny to me. I think I said Big Show, but I might have said Bag Show. Well, one of the shows. Well, you stumbled, and then you... It's the well. Bag Show! <laughs> before, you get, before you continue with Backstage, I want to say, at one point, Austin goes, well, I've got a million problems. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what are any of Austin's million problems? Like what is he what is he actually worried about? Is he like talking about his like his his um uh, fuck <laughs> I was going to say is he talking about his mortgage? Like is he what like what are his million like what's what is upsetting what's on Austin's mind that he's he's so ridden with problems? Well, he's already shot all the deer in Victoria, Texas. What's he going to do now? <laughs> He's got all this camo and crossbows. He saw just a he's, little bit of a drama queen. He saw the writing on the wall really early about climate change, and he just racked with that all every night. Right, he spends every night just listing out his problems. He's like, um, he's like Arya Stark. He just every problem is that like before he goes to sleep that he has to murder. And then backstage, he has to worry about the bag show. Well. Acting, acting as the uh, the literal angel on his shoulder, letting him know it's the guy's daughter. Also, it looked like here that Big Show was uh, Porky picking it, and it was so funny to me because he had like <laughs> like a big like vest or like a sleeveless sweatshirt or something, but he had like his little wrestling trunks on, so he wasn't wearing pants, and it was so funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> And also backstage, Shane is giving orders um, to Bossman and Test before they're about to have a match. Although he has some extra orders for the Bossman. And I'm guessing those extra orders are hit somebody with a stick. Yeah. Yeah. I think Bossman, you know, look, police, as we know, are not the smartest people in the world. So you have to give them explicit orders. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure his extra advice was just, be a cop. And that was it. And then he, <laughs> boss man filled in the blanks and took care of the rest. Um, 
you guys have been 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 making reference to the big show's theme music and this is one of the first times that i reflected on just how much i like the big show's music but it's kind of like I, um you, you guys have seen ghost world right Yes, of course. Yeah. Do you remember the scene where Steve Buscemi takes Thor Birch to go see like this old timey blues man play? And uh-huh. then and, and then and then the hammer? woman in the audience is like, Oh man, well if you're she's like trying to hit on her, he's like, Oh well if you like authentic blues, you're really lucky because blues hammer is about to take the stage. And the big show's theme hundred percent sounds <laughs> like something that would be performed by Blues Hammer. In fact, I think it might have been. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure where you were going with this, but you stuck the landing. Uh, yeah, it like it's it's like it's like um, I I did think a lot about the the theme music because I I love it in the fact that I can make fun of it so much. Um, it's just like what song? It's it's almost like like the person who's singing the song needed to buy himself some time so he starts by going well uh, and well it's the big show and then it didn't work so he's just singing about what he sees it's, <laughs> it's oh a, he's randy newman he's the big old show making his way to the ring right now <laughs> also yeah. the voice on that song sounds close enough to the big show's voice that even though i know he's not singing that song in my head He's singing that song. <laughs> That's his voice. Uh, so we had uh, Big Show and Mankind versus Test and Boss Man and one of the permutations that we're going to be seeing a lot moving forward. Um, and just watching this, just again, thinking how awesome the Big Show was and just how huge he is and how cool it is to see him on these free-ass TV matches back in the day, back when he could really I, move. I saw him in person once at a mall. Like, I went to a mall when they were, I think it was Big Show and Mick Foley that was doing, like, a signing. I didn't go to the signing, like, wait in line and stuff, but I wanted to, like, go to the mall just to see them. And I don't know. I mean, granted, I wasn't a full-grown human, but I just remember seeing the Big Show walk by and being like, holy shit, that's an enormous person. <laughs> You're like, that is a Big Show. That show well, <laughs> he is he is accurately named. That was the big show. He's walking by in a mall. So the match ends with mandible, uh, with mankind giving the mandible claw to Test, and then Test and Bossman face down each other, and then Bossman attacks Test. Making us all wonder, was Shane's advice, if Tess loses, attack Tess? Yeah, I can't recall, Aaron. Did we miss something where, where there's a reason why the corporation doesn't like Tess anymore? Uh, I think it's just because he keeps kind of, like, getting shown up by these guys. I don't know if there's some something on a heat that I might have missed, but okay, nothing, nothing exceptional stands out. And um, and you and I mean for- you guys have watched everything from Raw that has to do with these guys from the past few months, so that's true. Um, yeah, I uh, 
My my big takeaway from this, I I, I just th- noticed that mankind got his face drawn on Sako. They were like, Sako's still covered in blood. I'm like, the blood that looks like the face of mankind. Yeah, someone messed that up real bad because it's like that's not what it is. That's his hair. It's like airbrushed, like a T-shirt on a boardwalk. Yes, yeah. It looks it looks like um, mankind. You know, obviously, knock on wood, God forbid, was killed, and he's wearing. You know, there's somebody's wearing a Sako of mankind as tribute to Jesus. Him. Why do you have to <laughs> die for that? Well, you know, you know those those t- those shirts where it's like an airbrushed face of a person who passed away. Meanwhile, there was just blood spatter on there, and you guys just saw what you wanted to see. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that was a true Rorschach test. Yeah, it was test. a sock Rorschach test. You know, the old sock Rorschach test. <laughs> well. Vince, meanwhile, is at the, uh, at the site pacing back and forth on a loading dock that Austin is looking at at a monitor to keep abreast of the situation. Yeah, it was just Vince by himself with a single camera crew. Meanwhile, back at the arena, Bradshaw versus Shamrock. Shamrock comes out in a long sleeve t-shirt that is tucked into jean shorts. And I'm like, don't they have people like telling you what to wear backstage? Or I mean, I guess nobody can really tell Ken Shamrock what to wear, but... I feel like that that's the outfit that would like that like um one of the that who was the attractive uh camp counselor in Wet Hot American Summer? Oh, I could see her face. Right? Doesn't that seem like this kind of outfit she would wear? Like, oh, a long sleeve tee and some like, you know, cutoffs. Yeah, I could see that. I think her name was like Sophie Moreau or something. She had a French last name. I do think Ken Shamrock and uh, Chris Maloney's character from What Hot American Summer probably have a lot in common. <laughs> they both talked to a can of, be- of, uh, of what was it? Peas? Yeah, a can, a can of, of peas. peas. That, was the, uh, that was his, Kevin Shamrock's only friend in the group home was a can of peas that he kept. I mean, think about it. They really do. I mean, they definitely has, like, big gene energy. But in this match, which isn't much of a match, Farouk attacks, and uh, it's Test to the rescue. Um, which, again, I don't think they've built up enough here to, to let us buy that Test would come out here um, just out of the kindness of his heart. But that's what he does. And uh, Shamrock just starts hitting things with a baseball bat. Like, really, like, like almost like probing things as though Shamrock can, uh, is like Daredevil and needs to uh, touch the announce table and the ring bell and, the, and in order to see where it is. Yeah, it's echolocation, but with a bat. With a, sorry, with a ball bat. That's how they do it in Boston. <laughs> There was a point though. I it wasn't. I don't think it was in this, but there was a point in one of the clips that we watched where they were referring to a baseball bat as a club, and I was like, "What the fuck is wrong with everybody?" <laughs> it does seem like very few people have seen how a baseball bat works <laughs> that are involved in this. Like the way they hold it and use it, like nothing makes a lot of. It's not how I think I would naturally gravitate toward it. But then again, 
What do I know from handling baseball bats? <laughs> <laughs> you know how they hold a baseball bat? It's like it's like on those um, those made for TV com- like infomercials where they're like, "Has this ever happened to you?" Like where it's like, "I can't swing this baseball bat," and they're holding it from the top and like and the and the bottom, and they're like, "It's not working." And then like somebody has to come in and show them the thing that they need to buy that will help them swing the bat properly. Well, they keep trying to turn it sideways. <laughs> right. This banana won't open. So then we see Shane McMahon versus The Rock. Um, we get a run-in from the Mean Street Posse, um, which, have we talked in depth about those guys? I don't think so. In depth? Yeah. In depth, no. Man, Pete Gass is an unfortunate person to look at. Like, like he looks out of breath from making his way down to the ring. Um, and I looked up; he was a he he played uh, college football at UConn, because um, of course he did. But man, I just I hate having to look at him more than anyone else in either of these stables. Is he the guy that looks like Brad Garrett? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, like if he actually looks like uh, PKS looks like if uh, Brad Garrett and Jerry Stiller went into like the fly machine, you know? <laughs> yep. Also, the Brundle Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> PKS and Rodney are actual friends of Shane McMahon. You know, I wouldn't go too deep into it, but they were just like hanging out around the WWF gyms one day and they were like, hey, you guys free for something? And it just kind of like took off and they kept them around for a very long while. Well, the ving- uh, oh, I, 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 I thought maybe these were like the two jobbers that were part of the means because I, I, you had said before that that there were like two of them that were actual friends yeah. and two of them that were like jobbers, and I thought they kept the jobbers and got rid of the actual friends. No. I didn't realize they kept the actual friends. Yeah, Rodney and PKS are the actual friends, and they do like get trained into how to wrestle more. Um, I don't think they ever like get super great, but anyway, uh, and they'll, I think there'll be another person joining them soon you are that person's a jobber and that got, person is a th- that's an outside jobber person when we meet them yeah we got a few months before he should but didn't he wasn't he in one of the earlier ones too he might have appeared he might have been one of the jobbers that would but he's not uh the, the character's name is joey abs it's not yeah. a this is no reveal of any kind but uh <laughs> and he's just like a guy that they stuck in the stable i really i truly can't imagine what it's like growing up friends with like the son of the owner of WWF and just being like, like, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm just going to like learn how to wrestle now. Let me just become a, like a professional wrestler who's on TV wrestling. And I guess I'll just travel with the other wrestler. Like, well, but think that, about but hold up. your childhood. Friends. No, but hold up because these are, are, are friends of his growing up in Greenwich, Connecticut. So they have so much. So they're all. They rich. have so much fucking privilege already, where they're able to like their whole life is. I think I'm going to do this now, and everyone telling that him, yes, okay, let's figure out how we can do that for you. Do Do you think that like each of those guys like brought the rest of the group to do their own things too? So like those two guys like like became wrestlers because of Shane, but then like Shane also like worked as a banker for a while because like one of their kit, one of like the other guy's fathers. And then the other one was like, they're like, I don't know. I don't know. What's another good rich person thing. 
Like, I don't, they owned, like, a football team together. Well, you know what well, I mean? Well, it's like, not a banker. <laughs> not like a bank You know teller. those those rich people who, who hand you your money at the bank. Sorry, a, a VC, a, a venture capitalist. A, uh, an, a, an, a, a Wall Street analyst. They, yeah, I guess they don't say bankers. We just, but also, we poor but people also say Eric, bankers. yes, 100%. Because Shane McMahon also leaves the WWF for a long time and has a couple of like successful side ventures that I'm sure he was able to accomplish through no like exceptionalism on his part. Because Pete Gass's father, you know, wanted to invest in a few new companies, and then Rodney Senior that's... got involved, and then that's and then Shane's like, well, it's, I guess it's my turn to get on this vocational track, Sisterhood of the Track is of this... the Vocational Path. Is this like the the pact that the Obamas made, where it was like, okay, I'll get president, I'll, I'll be president for like eight years, and then you can be president for eight years? Like they're just like. It's a it's a you know a relationship of uh, strategic opportunities. Yeah, that's how they view life, like all the time. God, why? What are we guys doing? Like, <laughs> yeah, what do your parents got going on, huh? It's nothing, man. They they both they both strategically decided to be teachers. Great, <laughs> good work. Like we need more of those. Fucking, <laughs> you fucking civil servants, motherfuckers. Well, my mom is great. We all know that. But yes, we know you love your family, Aaron. We know. <laughs> yeah. How many? How many episodes are dedicated to that? Uh, here's a deep dive on Aaron Benoit's family. <laughs> Guys, uh, it, it would take a whole quadrology. Aww. Quadrology. Uh, I do want to ask about the Mintry Posse here because I do have a note that it looks like they were wearing diapers, and I wonder if they were wearing like little padded suits to get body slammed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it's, it out there. it's not here, but Rodney does not know how to take a bump, and he worried me a couple of times. Oh, oh. Yes. well, that was but, a mess. especially we'll against that. the Stooges. But let's yeah, uh, yeah. let's finish this uh, this part right here. So, um, literally the first episode. I know, but it was the most minutes stuff. In. It was the most stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so Shane um, eats a rock bottom after the Mean Street Posse runs in, and, but the Rock is able to fight them off. But then Triple H and China attack before he could do the people's elbow. And then all of these corporate members are holding back the refs as the beatdown on the rock ensues to the crowd chanting Rocky. And, oh, my God, a hero is born. Loved it. And, and villains are born. I think uh-huh. we see the, the rise of Triple H, you know, coming into in, into his own here as like finally kind of like settling into a, a character that inspires some real uh, fears for too strong word, but some more respect. And I think China looks awesome right now. Yeah. Like I feel like these weeks we're watching, this is like a great few weeks of looks from China. She looks like like the outfits are awesome and she looks great. Yeah, she always looks like like um, she's literally pulled from the D and D player's handbook art. <laughs> oh yeah, it's definitely the the cover to an old uh, Conan the Barbarian like dime store novel. Yes, all the pulp, all the pulp novel mm-hmm. covers. Yeah, for sure. Wherever they got Gang Girl from, the cover of that. <laughs> but uh oh, guys, it's past ten, and the Undertaker hasn't shown up. And as we all know, whenever the Undertaker is late, it's cause for concern. Love saying true to that character beat. 
backstage stephanie is screaming and then the undertaker grossly touches her face and then paul bearer walks by holding a bedazzled book that says ministerium ex acerbus which uh-huh. i don't speak latin so mm-hmm. i decided to go to the internet and find out what acerbus means because i figured it was ministry of darkness but dark yes. is like the 13th definition for acerbus and mostly uh-huh. it just means tart or sour yep <laughs> Ministry of Sour is perfect. <laughs> I went on the same journey and, okay. uh, and was and was like equally gratified with uh, the destination. <laughs> I was like, "We are the Ministry of Tartness." Like that is going to be my <laughs> that is going to be my drag house <laughs> one day. <laughs> we are the Ministry of Tartness. It's, just, it's the Ministry <laughs> of Sour Grapes. <laughs> Mama Apricot. (laughs) The Ministry of Darkness. I love it. This is Sour Cherry. (laughs) Lemon from Drag Race Canada. (laughs) Uh, It's so funny because it's almost like it's like somebody had a speech impediment. And so they heard they heard like darkness over the phone. But they're like, Ministry of Darkness. Okay, I guess. And they like they translated it to Latin for them. That's what you do. That's what happens when you use uh, a a translator off of Fiverr. (laughs) That was uh, Parker Posey's character from Josie and the Pussycats who gave that dictation. Well, <laughs> well, this was right around the time where I was doing all my Spanish homework by using Babblefish. So I'm he... glad you learned Spanish then, huh? <laughs> so he definitely just went in, went in and, uh, and typed this in and it was just the first thing that came up. What a shame, what a shame. Which I didn't understand that either. Paul Bearer talking to himself. Oh, when he said, what a shame. I don't remember this part. I, well, maybe I, uh, I just, I took notes where I just wrote undertaker wedding. And so that's where I pick up on this. (laughs) Well, then let's pick up there. (laughs) It's the wedding for the undertaker. He didn't even, he didn't, he sent out, he didn't even send out a save the date. It's a little bit like short notice, honestly. (laughs) Also, I'm. I was looking, and I did not see an open bar. <laughs> Tacky. No. Yeah. Right. Tacky. <laughs> so gross. I feel like you know, especially at, at, at a dark wedding. I would. I need to have a drink if I'm going to get through it. Do you think though that this is like the this is like um, one upping when people propose on the on like the jumbotron, and it's like, well, okay, um, we're. <laughs> We're at a big uh, pay-per-view of, or, you know, we're at a giant event filled with an arena. I'm going to marry you here on the Titantron. The Undertaker yeah. is giving up 51% of the WWE to marry Stephanie McMahon, though, so. Maybe it is Which, uh, Yep. That's actually a pretty good deal, though, if you think about it, because the chances are... He's going to get it. Yeah, you're yeah. giving 51 today to get 100 down the road. That, that's, the, that's the bet Triple H made. Yeah, paid off for him. Except that presupposes that this uh, that this wedding is at all legally binding. Um, Paul, no, uh, Paul Bearer is an ordained minister. So according to the state of, I don't know where were they, Arizona, Florida. Well, you anyway, got, you guys, he has all of the documentation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I by by the. 
what is it by by the uh, the by the laws of uh, of the or whatever the powers vested of, in me by the powers vested in me by the state of uh, New Mexico and the Ministry of Tartness. <laughs> I now pronounce you. So he opens up the book, the Ministerium ex acerbus, and starts reading from this. And the first words of the wedding ceremony of these evil rites is dearly beloved. Shouldn't it be like deliciously wicked or something like that? Yeah, you gotta give it the, uh, the Sabrina treatment. <laughs> Listen, Aaron, uh, you know, dark, dark, evil people deserve love too. Okay. All I'm saying, Eric, is when you do our wedding, if weddings are ever still a thing ever again, it better not just be cribbed right from this wedding ceremony. I was a hundred percent gonna take this, so sorry. <laughs> he will be. You reading, get what you pay for. He'll be reading from the Ministerium X uh, Acerbus for sure. We'll make sure of it. Yeah. And then there's... I've already ordered it on Amazon, so sorry. Well, it's good. So it doesn't matter if Natalie says yes or no. She's still married to me no matter what. Yes. As long Listen. as long as a muscular man doesn't make his way down the aisle in order to break her free. Yeah. I, ha- I, have, I have time for that planned in the service, too. I feel like it's a win-win for me. <laughs> Either you guys get hitched or when... a muscle guy shows up. Either way, I'm happy. This is when Bobby the Bod makes his appearance. <laughs> um, so one thing I want to note is that I, I spent a lot of... I think like seeing the Undertaker symbol on at the angle that it was perched... Um, it started looking to me like like a like one of those optical illusions at the bottom. Yeah, like it started it started looking like an MC Escher drawing where you have like the staircase leading to the staircase leading to the staircase. It's the same staircase. Um, it was like I was like, what's going on? Is this like are this, is this like a stake in the ground? I don't even know. I even drew it. I drew it in my notes. And I mean, you must have it burned in your brain because you we're going to see it a lot throughout these episodes. I also have the, you know, a certain music cue burned in my brain because, again, uh, one of the things I've started to realize it, with with this is as we start getting these factions uh, and and they permeate everything, the same music comes up over and over and over because, uh, you know, obviously, right, because. When the same people come out, you have to bring out the same music. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just every time, like, no chance. Mm. Duh, duh. Oh wait, no. Soldier soul for puppets on a string. Except no. What? Except we we'll we'll go back to that soon enough. Oh, the remix. Yeah. Oh, I know. Um. Anyone have anything else they want to say about this moment? Or not at one hour in. Okay. No. <laughs> So, um, the, the ceremony is going on as, uh, Shamrock makes his way and Big Show makes his way in and they're all fought back, but somehow Austin is able to, uh, to clear the ring, get Stephanie out, Stephanie hugs Austin and then Stephanie, Vince comes in and, uh, Stephanie gives her father a hug. Everyone is safe. For now. Um, Austin also does the Keanu Reeves uh, floating hand hug. Like he does not want 
anybody thinking that he's like you know being inappropriate with Stephanie. Hmm. His hands are wide, with arms wide open, as Creed might say. <laughs> so then we go to SmackDown number one, the very first episode, the uh, the pilot episode of SmackDown, which we won't see on a regular basis until, I want to say, August is when that premieres. Maybe the fall. Um, but really, um, UPN is probably, like, so thankful that they got SmackDown eventually. So I feel like at this point, like, Moesha was the only thing that it had to its name. The episode starts... Sounds about right. The episode starts with uh, Stephanie and Vince in the ring surrounded by cops. The asshole chant is bearing down on them. And then Vince does the whole, (laughs) yes, I have been an asshole, haven't I? Or it was kind of like, yes, that was me. That is that thing that you're saying. That is what I have been. I have, in fact, what a weird been the asshole. And then it, they give thanks to Shamrock, Big Show, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then now is the part that um, that Bobby and Eric really alluded to earlier, because Stephanie, in in recounting what happened to her, makes. Um, Make sure to talk about how she was stripped of her clothes and The Undertaker touching her, which really, really weird that those things would draw cheers from the audience. Especially, like, the whole Stephanie McMahon, like, uh, return to, or, you know, uh, appearance on SmackDown is, like, extra, extra, extra weird because... It starts with, like, she is, like, beaming at her father. She looks like, she looks, you know, eight years younger. She's just, like, smiling and, and, like, looking up at her father lovingly. And then she, like, does this, like, weird uh, testimony. Or not testimony, but, you know, like, she testifies. And I mean that in the religious Mm -hmm. way. Of like, and then they did this to me, and then they did this, and it's just like, how do you think, like, victims of sexual violence, how do you think that they respond to this stuff? Like, how do you, how do you think that 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 they would actually tell this story? Because none of this makes any sense to me. Well, I do think that what they're my my take on this is they're trying to kind of like do the same thing that like the nineteen seventies sort of like women in prison movies would do, which is like they they take this and it's not violent, it's it's sexual, you know, and it's like they really do want it and they they're just bad and need to be disciplined. It's like it's it you're right, it is a hundred percent bad, uh, but I think they're not trying for any kind of realism at all. So I, think, I don't think that this is what they, they think a victim would act like. I think they don't see it as victimized almost. It's very strange. It's very unsettling to watch in 2020 eyes for sure. Yeah, no, it sucked. And then we had Shane enter. Um, Shane, who held the corporation back from doing anything during the wedding the, on uh, the Monday before, um, doesn't give a rat's ass about anything. And then it, it was it was kind of during this part where I realized that that Shane's speaking is the same to me as when the Undertaker does his like evil 
evil, evil, evil speeches. And it just eventually Shane, uh, my eyes glaze over and I can't distinguish the words that he's saying anymore. Yeah, economy of language yeah. is not his strong suit. I mean, you know, let's be honest. That kind of is the the hallmark of, you know, WWF in general, right? Like, how often do they do you get like long monologues where like you know where like it's a decent thesis and and <laughs> you can follow it all the way through? Yeah, not too many pipe bombs out there. But Shane is, uh, I guess, still mostly in charge, so he books a whole bunch of things. He te- um, he's got The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin doing the whole Can They Coexist trope. Book that night against Triple H and anyone, anyone. And China had her hand up in the background, so I, I don't know if, if they told her that she wasn't going to be in the match or she just thought she could like volunteer her way into the match. But instead, it's The Undertaker. Yeah, I was excited for that for that announcement. You know, like I was like, "Holy shit!" Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H, the, the Undertaker, all Hall of Famers. Uh, you know, it seemed like it would be really fun. Yeah, I mean, this is huge. Even at the time, it was huge. You know, sometimes we look back and we're like, "Oh wow!" Before they were stars, to think mm-hmm. we're watching these proto these proto wrestlers find themselves at this point. Even you know, I think in real time, it was still clear that like, "Holy shit, this is huge," which makes sense for like a pilot like this. I mean, from my notes, I don't really have any notes written. I, I think it was good. Was it good? What are you talking about? The match. Was the match good? I don't remember. We're not quite there yet because uh, we got a couple of other things that happen over the course of the night. First, we had um, Big Show versus Test, which ended uh, with Big Boss Man coming down and staring down Big Show, but instead attacking Test and Big Show coming to his aid. Um, And then we got... The Rock and Austin in the ring together, kind of doing dueling promos with each other. And I need to to talk about something Austin says. I think we all want to talk about something Austin says. Okay, because he says uh, Rock talks about you know having the, being the Brahma Bull and having the horns, and Austin says he's gonna knock those horns off your head and put them on the barbecue. But in between those two things, he says he's uh-huh. going to wipe his ass yep stone cold will knock those stupid horns off your head wipe your ass toss you on a barbecue grill that's all i have to say on that and i was like is that all you have to say because i have a lot of follow-up questions i need more (laughs) so weird i think was he wasted like i mean he was like he sounded like a lunatic like a rambling lunatic It was not cool or entertaining at all. I was like, what is this weird? Like, who let this, like, random crazy person in the ring? (laughs) So as these two legends are in the ring together, Shane comes out with The Undertaker and announces that there is a merger between the corporation and the ministry. They are the corporate ministry. The mineration. Again. Or the ministry. I think the ministration, maybe. (laughs) couple things here first off i mean it's so lame for the, for like a, the idea of a corporate ministry if you think about it for even two seconds is so stupid but he was like listen i know i work for the devil but if we want to incorporate here well, let's agree on our revenue share terms or whatever <laughs> very annoying 
But also, Shane ends this promo with, like, an ultimatum for Austin and Rock, but he says it in such a way that I, I, I still, I don't even understand what he's trying to, like, what subtext this is supposed to have. But he goes, and you two better get it together and change your strategy. I know! And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, why did you, those don't rhyme? Like, why did you say that like that? It was so weird! Word vomit. They just do. They they're so. There's so much word vomit in a single episode. But like with word vomit, it's, it's if you took word vomit and you sort of like tried to spit it out like a fountain, all fancy. It's like vomit all comes out at once. This was such a purposeful like and a change of your strategy. And I was like, am I like in a revival church? What's <laughs> well, happening? This was. This is also the same man in the next segment where where we see him where he's like giving the ministry a pep talk backstage. He says, "Yeah, the corporate ministry." Yeah, created by me. What? I love that. Yeah. Because also while that faded out, he literally went, and I created it again, <laughs> as, as if it was like shaken bacon. He helped. <laughs> but I love that. Well, cor- oh, go ahead, Eric. Sorry. Oh, no, you you go ahead. No, I insist this you on this time. Uh, I think, yeah, I think like the, the issue with this, I mean, first of all, can we just say, I think the corporate ministry, that's Amway, right? <laughs> Like, it seems like a, a pretty, like, direct line. But um, I it just – it's so weird to me that they're like, we're going to create the ministry. They're so evil. They're so fucking evil. We've got the, the Undertaker. He is the top of the evil. He's the Lord of Darkness. And now – we're going to combine him with the corporation, and he's going to have, like, our corporates. So the Undertaker is going to lose all of his, uh, I guess, like, executive roles and just be a henchman under Shane. Like, what a fucking, like, deflation. That's what happens when you put too much middle management in to a corporation. There's just too <laughs> many layers of supervision. It's no one can keep the di- the division of labor straight. We all got to circle back on this later. Uh, I love this. Guys, I really feel like the... we're losing our focus on the evil. Doing too much <laughs> business, forgetting the evil. Midian takes out like a little line graph with an arrow going downward <laughs> on our evil. Uh, under Undertaker is in a is in a board meeting going. Oh, I've made such a huge mistake. <laughs> Like it, it truly is what we said the last deep dive episode where I was, I, it's funny how I was like, I wonder what would happen if the ministry took over the, the WWE. And it's like, well, I guess it's sort of what we're seeing, but I bet the ministry would have a better vision than the corporate ministry. I like also that we criticize anybody for word vomit and we're going to talk for like three hours about this storyline. <laughs> uh, Again. One, one last thing I want to say on this is I like the... I, I want to get a better idea of how the backstage of an arena is set up in general, because from what I've learned from wrestling, it is fucking crazy back there. Like, what did they... Like, the kinds of rooms they have that they always, like, shoot in, it's so weird. Uh, but this one was good because it reminded me of a basement of an old church. You know, like, the rooms mm-hmm. at churches where it's always like, is it a classroom? Is it a daycare? It's like, I don't know. All I know is that there's cake and coffee there after mass. You know what I mean? Like, it was, like, one of those weird cinder block old classrooms. Um, which was very I'm aware weird of place. this for synagogues, but not for not for churches. I'm sure the rooms are the same. That's the thing. In yeah. the end, they're all the same. <laughs> they all have the same coffee and cake room after services. Uh, it was a very weird setting to see, like supposedly, like the greatest, most powerful businessman in this universe meet with the Lord of Darkness. 
even the Lord of Darkness hasn't figured out capitalism. He's like, that shit is evil. <laughs> Other matches that we had on this episode were uh, Big Show versus Test. Um, we already mentioned, sorry. Let me take that clean. Other matches that we had on this episode were Shamrock versus Bradshaw in a street fight and uh, Big Mossman versus Mankind where Mankind wins with help from Big Show and Tess. So we're starting to see some other groups coalesce around this. But then um, the episode ends with The Rock and Austin versus The Undertaker and Triple H. And holy shit, the energy in that arena is incredible. Yeah, what a way to, to like, of course it's a pilot episode. Like, what a way mm-hmm. to end the show. It was fun as hell. Meanwhile, you have, again, these four legends in the ring, and then there's somebody in the front row holding up a sign that says, Mark Canterbury, the Southern Justice Problem Solver. Like, you've got I also the, wrote that down. What? You've got the one Henry Godwin stand in the entire arena. It had to be Henry Godwin, right? I mean, like, truly, because <laughs> Mark Canterbury is, like, not even on screen as a character. Mm-hmm. So, like... If you were paying how much to sit in the front row of, of raw opposite the hard cam, and you're like, I could bring one sign. I got time to make one sign. <laughs> it's going to be for Mark Canterbury using a name he he used for only a fraction of his career for only the brawl uh, for all. <laughs> and I think that's I think he was Mark Canterbury for Southern Justice too. Mm-hmm. I want to say, but still, what you were like such a big fan of like this like greasy sweaty. Suit man, Southern Justice problem solver is not even a gimmick. That's not even that wasn't even part of the gimmick. <laughs> Are you pitching? That guy, that guy was actually the author of the Canterbury Tales. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a very, very different one than what we were, what we thought we knew. Just writing fan fiction about Mark Canterbury. But man, with these episodes, I hope you guys like Schmas finishes because there is a shit ton of them. That's all it is, right? That's all every, yeah, mm-hmm. all every, no, n- nothing will finish like a real match. But in this one, we have um, Vince slugging Shane, um, and then uh, as Shane is trying to, to put a chair in for The Undertaker to finish Austin, Vince then goes into the ring, tugs on The Undertaker, and takes a fuck ton of a t- chair shot to the head. Um, and that, But that moment allows Austin to hit Taker with the stunner, uh, Shane starts beating on his un- unconscious dad. Austin gives Shane a stunner and then pours beer all over Shane or, or all over Vince at the end. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was definitely a crowd pleasing finish. Uh, I think Shane sells the stunner better than the Undertaker did. Yeah. Well, Undertaker has a lot to go down, like farther to go down than Shane does. I feel like it's a little bit tougher for him. Well, Shane does a little bit of a leap oh. with it. I think Shane does more of a jump. Mm-hmm. Also, wait till Undertaker is doing the limp biscuit thing, right? That's that's about as low as you can go. <laughs> <laughs> On uh, March or May third, we get the debut of the new spooky corporate theme. Um, wow. And everybody got a makeover except for the Main Street Posse. So they put they put Triple H in a leather tuxedo, basically. It's like leather pants and a leather jacket and like and, a big cross. Like and a big cross angels. as though he can like uh, ward away the ministry if they get too feisty. 
It's a symbol. It's a symbol, not a cross. It's just a T symbol for Undertaker. And also, let's be real. A guy that would have a leather shirt like that and leather pants would not be wearing a cross. He would be wearing an Ankh. Let's be real. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Well, he still hasn't achieved full form yet, and that's why I, I think he uh, throws out that the rock, or should I say the crock, and then feels Oof. oh so self-satisfied with that burn. Uh we're still we're still collecting Triple H candies. We haven't been able to evolve him yet. <laughs> I do love that they're positioning this. The catchphrase is the most omnipotent force, and I was like, "That's a weird superlative to give yourself." <laughs> like being omnipotent is already pretty, I guess, like cool. But I don't know how you're the most omnipotent. Like, who else is also omnipotent? Like, and how are you qualifying this? It just felt like a very weird superlative. Yeah, there's no... Well, like, where are you on the omnipotent spectrum? You're either omnipotent like... or you aren't. That's, yeah. Yeah, there's no... No, it's, it's a whole spectrum. Like, there's all kinds of omnipotence. There's street omnipotence. There's, you know, then there's, like, you know, school omnipotence. Like, you're, you're kind of more of a bookworm. But is even omnipotence the, the best thing to have in wrestling? Like, wouldn't you be, like, the strongest force, the most lethal force, the deadliest force? Those are all things that associate with wrestlers. Like, omnipotence, I was like... Oh, so are we going to be like a weird, you know, uh, I don't know, kind of like the OA kind of situation? Like, how how does this work? <laughs> or like Doctor Manhattan just like blinks and every wrestler disappears, and he's like, I, I am I am the winner now. It is Thursday. I'm on Mars. I'm the winner. Let me ask you this, corporate ministry: Can you make a chair so large that even you cannot lift it? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they, but they're out there for, I feel like, four and a half hours, just <laughs> passing around the mic like it's an award show speech. It just, like, everybody got to cut a little bit of a promo. Um, Ex- except I, for my... Viscera, who's just making monster faces in the background. <laughs> but also... Wait, sorry. Is this is this the Raw? This is the this Raw. This is Raw, yeah. yeah. Okay, what were you going to say? Uh, I just, like, yeah, I, I, I also was watching Viscera, like, the things he reacted to. And again, unclear if Viscera is a normal human, if Viscera has changed somehow from being sacrificed, but he really likes Shane's jokes. He really <laughs> likes Shane's jokes about bad vodka or whatever. And I was like, that's a weird thing for a monster to have such a like a jovial response to. He, re- again. he really likes when Shane asks how many of you have comically oversized testicles that allow you to hurt your loved ones. I swear, after this um, promo, Visser went backstage and went, Shane, we should be work husbands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you guys, wait, so what about what about Undertaker's like little bit on the mic? I Oh, you mean when he was quoting thought, Pulp Fiction? Wait, I thought it was, it, he goes, it's plain and simple. I hate everyone. And I was like, is Undertaker Garfield? <laughs> <laughs> It's plain and simple. I hate he everyone, hates, but especially Mondays. He hates everyone, and Austin is at the top for some reason. Like it does. Uh, like I don't. I know they've had their stuff, but it does. It seems like there are people in your own group that you should hate more than Austin. I thought, yeah, like Midian's right there. I thought Undertaker's super weird in this that whole segment. Because even though he's Texan, I feel like when he starts to do his dark voice, he gets a little New Orleans in it. And it's very fucking <laughs> weird. Also, Wait. I do I forgot 
um, how much he would roll his eyes in the back of his head after like every sentence. Like, and it and uh. it gets to the point where you're like, you could see him struggling to do it, and you just want to be like, yeah, Mark, Mark, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do it. It's okay. But he just has to yeah, end every like, sentence. Doctor Francois is like. Mark, you only got like ten more in you, and he's like, "Okay, <laughs> oh no, nine. <laughs> Meanwhile, Doctor Francois is examining his eyes while holding like six pairs of scissors or something. <laughs> <laughs> this man isn't pregnant. <laughs> Your eyeballs um, not pregnant. <laughs> uh, I also like that Undertaker is very, very clear that he is a judge, a jury, and an executioner. He is not a savior. He's an executioner. Sometimes he's a judge, sometimes he's a, jur- a jury, but he's always an executioner. And you will know my name is the Lord of Darkness when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Uh, yeah, he's also, he also says, like, there's a power greater than the Undertaker, but I am the Lord of Darkness. So I, are you saying there's a king of darkness? Like, what is the? I am but what's a, the what's the what's the org chart for darkness? I am but a vassal of darkness. Is it vassal or vessel? Mm. Uh vassal. I see. He's like a he's a surf, <laughs> a, a darkness surf. And then the union shows up, um, which great. The um, way to create way to create these stakes. Way to um, include so many people into this main storyline yeah i this is i mean i really struggle i know we talked about it for an hour and a half but uh i did struggle with the first smackdown and first raw that we watched there was like so much and i feel like a lot of it was repetitive Mm -hmm. and a lot of it was set up and i think we start getting payoff here and same thing Aaron. like i totally agree with you like uh i was so like, swept up in all of this. Because, of course, if there's... Like, this is something that, that's... The logic is missing now on wrestling. So take Seth uh, Rollins and Rey Mysterio. There's no... If someone was actually trying to get people's eyes out, everyone else would be involved. You know what I mean? Like, Natalia wouldn't just pass them in the hallway and be like, hey, Seth. Like, that's not... That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But with this, like, this is happening, and it feels like the reverberations of it are affecting the entire company, which makes sense and makes everything feel like it has more stakes. Um, Because it's not confined to the segment where it feels so, like, uh, we check in on the one chapter and that's all you get. Like, they pace them in throughout the night and they tie in these other people and everyone's motivation makes sense. And they laid the groundwork here. Uh, I found, I I was very excited by all this. It gets a very, like, Avengers battle scene feel to it. Mm -hmm. It makes our job a lot harder because every single segment of basically the Raw, other than, I want to say 80% of Raw is all about this story in in these episodes. Yeah. It's 80% of the roster, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> involved in some way. Yeah, I, um, I was I was excited. So obviously I'm always excited for um, for Mankind. Uh, I was excited for the, I mean, you know, he had me with Union. Uh, the Up Yours. And then, of course, Up Yours is really, really good. Uh, and then I was like, as I thought about it later, I was like, man... It is so fucking gross for the WWF to have like a faction called the Union. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's like, like fuck you guys. Like it would be like you know I don't know. I I, I nope. I don't have any a- analogy. <laughs> they have it's just they have like, a faction called the People with Healthcare. Like oh no, right, right, well, exactly. Or or like a, a a wrestler whose gimmick is that he like he studies CTEs. You know, like fuck you, man. 
But, I mean, yeah, of course I love the idea of it. Um, I thought it was weird that Tess was giving his plank a hand job while they were, like, talking. Uh, he just kept, like, stroking his plank. And then, of course, we get the Shane thing, right? Which Shane thing? The the big reveal. Shane was the mastermind. Oh, okay. Shane was the one. So yeah, so right? so it goes away a little bit, and then it comes back. Shane comes back in order to uh, to make some changes in in the lineup, and so basically he books a whole bunch of matches with these guys in it. I won't do the full rundown, but I'll, I'll kind of like go over them kind of as they come up in the episode. Um, but then uh, Vince comes out with Stephanie, and we see Linda McMahon now for the first time. Um. Taker does his leering things at, at, at Stephanie. At the, and King says, it's sick. And then JR goes, you're right, King. It is sick. I mean, when Jerry Lawler's on the right side of history. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was also, that was in general a thing. I was like, I was like, what does, like, as, as the, as uh, the heel announcer, like, what, where is Lawler aligned on half of this stuff? Like, it didn't seem like he knew all the time. And probably didn't. But one of the matches that gets booked is Shane versus Vince. And, and um, Shane keeps saying he wants, first he says he wants to take his ass, which, you bet, you know. Um, and then he keeps saying, think of the box office, think of the box office. Shane, the people have already paid. If you want to think of the box office, then you need to set it for a future date where more people can uh, buy um, pay-per-view packages or at least tickets to the event. Damn, I didn't even think about that. Fuck, you're right. Well, Shane's head's not really an event promotion. It's He's more of a fashion guy, I'd say. Uh, mostly bridal, because uh, he also fesses up to picking out Stephanie's wedding dress, yeah. which I thought was an interesting character wrinkle there. Especially at first I was like, that's weird. I mean, you're going to say like you were behind it, you're in charge, but you don't have to say that. Uh, but then the, the way he frames it as, wasn't it the bomb? <laughs> oh. oh, the worst. Because it was like, wasn't it the bomb? And I was like, jeez, Shane. Because... It's not going to make things happen. But also, didn't he like take... Uh, I guess pictures of his sister undressing. Isn't that what we're led to he believe? He did, but that's not worse than saying the bomb because I feel like the bomb, <laughs> the bomb was first became like in in black vernacular culture, and I want to say ninety three. I don't know when did the chronic come out? Early nineties, and white people held on to the bomb for. F- Far too long, and that is an unforgivable offense. They hold on to the bomb the way my mom still makes not jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Eric, I hate you, and I don't want you to come out and see us this weekend. Not. Not. I don't. Yeah. uh, What is it? I'm totally fine with the amount of time that you you don't spend with us. (laughs) Not. Uh, but yeah, Shane says that he was the one who set up that whole thing. And I guess kind of like setting up, but not, never really setting up Shane as possibly being the higher power. We still kind of get that, that, that higher power thing tease, which then you got to bring into the whole like structure of this. 
the organizational structure. Uh, but but that was enough for yeah, Vince. Yeah, we need an org chart. Yeah, that's enough for Vince, though, and he's going to kick his ass. But before that happens, we got one of the most satisfying segments I remember I seeing in it. a long time with the Mean Street Posse versus Briscoe and Patterson. Oh, so good. I can't believe they let Rodney cut a pre-match promo. Again, he's just some <laughs> schmuck off the street, basically. But holy shit. Is Rodney the guy who looks like blonde Joe Rogan? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, yeah, with two comically oversized earrings. Guessing he pushed a few buttons, Bobby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. While I agree that P-Gas is not, not it, uh, Rodney could absolutely get it. But dude cannot take a bump to save it. Like, there was no. one where he went out. Oh, my God. He looked like he almost killed himself. Yeah, yeah it was bad. Sorry. You want to fit? You were, you were I think, going to describe it. So I apologize for stepping on No that. worries. I mean, yeah, he just he falls out of the ring in, in, in a way where I don't know how he corrected it that he did not land square on his head and give himself a stinger. I mean, you got four. I mean, obviously, Briscoe and Patterson are are legends, but they're not, you know, ring ready. And then you Mm -hmm. have these two who are not ring ready. It seems like a real, real dangerous, unnecessary idea on everybody's part. But at the same time, loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. It's it's such an interesting thing to to see, like, the Stooges, like, literally just, like, become faces for a match. Right? Like, or, or I guess, like, to see Vince and the Stooges... Like Vince went from um, from like just a couple months ago being like this the mega heel, right? Mm-hmm. Like he got he got your guys' slammy for best heel and now he's like almost a face. It is a face, I would say. On on these episodes yeah. he is a face. And like the but like the I guess what I mean is he's a face but the crowd buys it. Yeah. And the crowd yeah, yeah, yeah. is like the crowd eats it up. Uh, meanwhile, Shane is scheming backstage on camera talking about an office visit. Um, outside, we had Test and Bossman, uh, sorry, Test versus Bossman, Midian, and Viscera. Um, wh- Wait, so that office visit, they were like, they went to Vince's office, and when they opened it up, up, there Eric- was like a sink, a bike. Eric- What's that? Oh, sure, sorry. Um, before that happened. Um, we had Test versus Bossman, Midian, and Viscera, which ended with um, Bossman making a mistake, hitting Midian in the head, and Test scoring the pinfall. So just in a way to um, to show that Shane's plans now, he's, he's 0 for 2 for his uh, attempts to fuck over the union and people in it. But then, um, the U... Um, sorry, I got... I got but then it cuts back to this office visit where everyone has guessed that it's Vince McMahon's office and they are trying to batter down the door. So when they get through Vince's door, there's a sink in there. And it made me wonder, like, is Vince's office the bathroom like Fonzie? <laughs> and that, that's what I understand. They all, do they set up offices for everyone in each arena everywhere they go? They get an office. I mean, I guess they, I guess that does make sense. It's just like a part of the, uh, the, the 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 how the sausage is made that I never really thought about. 
No, they do. I want like yeah, a, but I want a map of the backstage area. Like, okay, here's craft services. Here's the parking garage. Here's locker room, women's locker room, Vince's offices, Shane's offices, hair, makeup, whatever. You know. Yeah, but also is like it like it looked like they don't set up offices for Shane for Vince, and like the office was just, they just took like like a I don't know like a handicapped bathroom and just put Vince McMahon on it. You know, like. It just looked like a very roomy bathroom with a sink. Does he, like, do his work in there? He does some of his best work in there, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Stick your fucking head in the toilet. Uh, But the the whole point is to beat up Vince McMahon before his match with his son. Vince, however, makes his way out. Um, Shane is wearing the biggest tracksuit I've ever seen. Like a like a David Byrne stop making sense tracksuit. Um, did you guys did you guys see by the way? I think it was in this match. Did you see the um, there was a guy holding a sign in the front that just said pervert. And no. I thought it was. I wondered if it was, like was court mandated. <laughs> oh, this is the nineties. That's before people had to do that. But if anyone's a pervert here, it is uh, Shane McMahon doing the Bronco Buster and getting such glee out of rubbing his dick in his father's face. Felt oh, made me feel very weird. But um, Vince hits the stunner and then kind of does the, the Three Stooges floor walk as he's uh, pinning Shane and, and spinning him around as he's uh, got him held up. But he gets the win. <laughs> Yeah, I really can't believe that Vince like got a pop for doing the stunner. The stunner works, man. I mean, but for Vince, and I think he did it pretty good too. Like he again, he got some leap on it. And following that, we got a trio of matches. We got Mankind versus the Acolytes in a hardcore match where Mankind is unable to uh, to keep up this union win streak. We got Ken Shamrock versus Triple H with China as the special guest referee. Uh, China hits a low blow at Triple H wins. And then Big Show versus The Undertaker, where Undertaker douses his elbow pad with ether in an attempt to subdue The Big Show, but it doesn't work. So instead, he just cracks a baseball bat over his head. All this leads up to The Rock versus Austin with the evil lumberjacks surrounding the ring. And this one is just immediately a schmoz fest. Like, there's no, like, even, like, attempt to make these two like your your whole point was you want these two guys that your enemy is to fight but then as soon as they get out there they're like no we want to want to have the joy of beating them ourselves i think it's a really really cool moment though where vince sends out the entire locker room to take out the corporate ministry like these guys are such an existential threat to what the WWF is. And so all of you guys back there, your paychecks kind of like depend on things continuing the way they are. So that's why you can have an Al Snow and a Hardcore Holly and, and a badass Billy Gunn out there fighting against these guys. Yeah, again, I mean, I, I, I agree. It just felt epic. It felt like it gave every story a bit of a boost. It gave everybody a thing to do. I don't know. I, I, I loved this. I, I felt like very swept up in the excitement here. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I, it, it felt like uh, it felt like Avengers Endgame, right? Like everybody is fighting everyone. But the Ministry stands tall this week. They throw Rock and Austin off, and they take some pretty hard bumps coming off of the stage there. 
Yeah, that was a that was yeah. definitely a tough landing. I remember just at this time though, with these endings, just like holy shit, I can't wait to see what they do next with it. So the following week, Shane walks in with uh, the ministry. Vince walks in with the union plus cops. Um, mass police, you know, always kind of telegraphing that there's going to be a surprise down the road. And I have to ask this question now. Vince McMahon is wearing a blue button down that he's got rolled up to the elbows and he's holding a two by four. And am I crazy or is Vince McMahon hot in this scene? Vince is hot in this scene. This is so (laughs) hot in this scene. It's it's like, because there's never been a single moment where I've I've ever even questioned, like maybe Vince is unquestionably hot in this moment here. But we don't get to... I mean, there there was a lot of buildup, right? Because, like, it looks like... It felt like the stand to me. And it was just like, like, every, you know, like, they're all just getting ready to have a rumble. So I get it. I get the sexual energy there. But for once, um, Raw didn't start with a whole bunch of uh, ministry, union, corporate members all talking and started with a match. So we... <laughs> When we come back, we see that Monica Sellis is here. Um, um, has she ever used her hands before? I don't. I I know she plays tennis, but I don't think she's ever actually used her hands. Uh, she was like clapping like a seal. The union enters. Vince calls out Shane, and then we got HBK on the monitor doing basically the opposite of last week, a whole bunch of matches that this time is meant to uh, put the union over um, over the corporate ministry. I love this booking. I mean, like, to think we have one story that's generating, like, you know, how many matches, how many segments, but they all are connected into one big story. We don't see anything remotely like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And then we get, you know, we get the reveal oh, that... HBK is doing the John Hammond Jurassic Park thing where he's talking to where he's talking on the screen but then oh those cops are not cops as you may have thought they're Briscoe and Patterson which why did we need a reveal for that no idea and then HBK who takes who is just a, immediately starts doing full hot cop. Oh yeah, I definitely have my whole uh I am I, my note just says I am delighted. <laughs> Wait, did we mention that Tess is wearing Fubu? Do we mention this at any point? No. Okay, Tess is wearing <laughs> Tess is wearing Fubu and I I don't like it. Well, I I brought that up on an or, well not that in particular, but at the um the WrestleMania rage party Big Show was wearing FUBU. I don't know. For yes. Some, I guess it bothers me more on Tess. <laughs> well. Uh, but I loved this whole segment. I loved one of my favorite parts was Paul Bearer fainting. <laughs> but they announced yes. that uh, he's in a match. Uh, I, I, I just love, I just loved it. You know, one of the best things that happens over the years, I think people get excited about Survivor Series because it's always like a brand supremacy. There's a story. There's like a scorecard to keep. And I think these matches give you the same thing because... They're all sort of tallying the overall... Each battle is, is, is a tally in the grander war. Mm-hmm. Dig it. Although some of those those choices were weird, but we'll get into those individually. Um, the first of those matches is the Big Show versus Paul, versus Paul Bearer, where Big Show obviously lays him out really quickly and then calls up The Undertaker. 
Um, then we had Bossman versus Test in a nightstick on a pole match. You guys missed nothing by not watching that one. And then Cactus... Isn't a nightstick a pole? <laughs> a pole on a pole. It's pole a, stick, a pole. stick on a stick match. In a playoff of, of last week where um, Mankind was double teamed in a hardcore match. This week, Cactus Jack versus Midian and Viscera. Which I guess because he's Cactus Jack, he has extra hardcore powers and is able to uh, get the win in the handicap match. I think here is where China cuts a promo. Oh boy! Wow! Yeah! Yikes! Um, you know, China on her period. It all I can think about is Drakekowski in that Thirty Rock sketch. Where he's, doing the <laughs> he's like, "Oh no, my period! Oh no, <laughs> my period!" <laughs> That's what it felt like. It was like, wow. They were like, guys, guys, we're going to really integrate China. She's the ninth wonder of the world. She's a spectacular woman. She's something special. So I know none of us have written for women before. Who's coming away for women? Vince, you want to give this one a try? Great, great. He's like, women. What do women like? What do women like? What do women do? I don't know. I don't know. They get their periods? Done. <laughs> Every 28 days, I get a little testy. And yesterday was day 27. Um... So then we had Bradshaw versus Farouk, and, and that, this was actually a pretty cool segment because they got the two to argue over, like, who was the toughest. But then as it um, eventually the, the corporate ministry members come in and make peace and then the union and them fight. Then again, holy shit, Mean Street Posse can fight Briscoe and Patterson every week, and I will be there for it every week. I literally wrote fight um, forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, so before that, by the way, I, I, I probably just got a little bit ahead of the um, of the clip, but there's a whole weird Steve Blackman lethal <gasps> weapon commercial. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "What the fuck is this? I don't even know." They they were just like they're just showing him like doing different martial arts it's, exhibi- it's, ex- exhibitions, and I was like, "For what? What what, what is this going to?" It's, yeah, it, and it's like Darude playing in the background. It's like the music from Blue Man Group while Steve Blackman does karate. It's just pulsing techno <laughs> with him doing karate moves, just to remind you that Steve Blackman still exists. Goo. Was it his sizzle reel? It might have been his sizzle reel. <laughs> he definitely puts it in the it attaches it to the sig- signature of all his, all of his emails. Uh, I'm Steve Blackman. I'm currently between representation. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, shit, yeah. Uh, mean Street Posse and Briscoe and Patterson. Uh, Briscoe and Patterson, first off, are the only people should, who should ever be allowed to use real American. And it made, that was I awesome. thought that was and it made me question why these guys aren't still on every week. Oh, they're very old. Right? Now. Well, they're probably dead. Yeah. No, both still alive. No, they're just very old. Yeah. Still, bring them on. I mean, Vince is barely like, on. Here's my here's here's a question I have. Is the is the like the real American music was that supposed to be sort of like Gilbert ish where they were basically like subtweeting Hogan and just kind of being like yeah this is what it looks like when a wash when a bunch of washed up guys come out to this music do you know what I mean yeah, yeah basically mm-hmm. yes exactly that that's 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 very funny yeah I think I so too that was extremely funny extremely good. Also, I liked um, Jr. outing Pat a little bit at the end. Yes, there. that yes. was great. And fellas, he's single. He's single, fellas. Like that was great. I was like, I didn't catch I was that like, as a this child. Is so cool. 
usually you know when you're when you're when you're um a teenager and gay it's like that kind of stuff like it literally sends you like an alert like your whole body like uh flashes like the uh, the kill bill siren starts going off mm-hmm. so i'm surprised I, never, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't pick up on that as a youth well you didn't have a lot of time to uh to meditate on it because then we had to cut to ken shamrock who says i grew up in group homes so i can't fight china yeah you know some stuff huh i gotta say God, this sucks to talk about in a weird way. It, I I find myself. I'm just going to be honest. I find myself really struggling with like how to talk about China and some of this stuff because I don't want to cheer violence against a woman, but I do want to cheer equal opportunity for a very spectacular particular woman. Um, and I think what I kept landing on was the notion of like that we still get in comedy of punching down. Mm-hmm. And I think when there's like a mismatch of strength or ability, uh, an imbalance of power. But I think what makes China so special in general is that she upends that notion of the balance of pa- the typical balance of power between um, sexes, between genders, and be able to make us, you know, that uh, fighting the the violence between them is just as valiant as when we see like even like a good Charlize Theron action movie. Um, but selling that in wrestling and making that uh, leap to that intergender stuff is such a delicate thing. And you can see here what they're doing to normalize it for us. Something a heel does, something a face does begrudgingly, something a face does and takes pleasure in something a face does. And we take pleasure in, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they're, they're gradually like easing us into this, uh, intergender stuff. And I, and I don't know what to make of it. Heads or tails from a, uh, like a gender studies point of view. Yeah, same. I, I think I think the what makes it so hard is that you know we there's no um, there's no getting around the fact that like the the crowd is a big part of things, and when the crowd cheers for a woman getting beaten up, like you're not saying they're going, man, this is progress. Uh, but I you know I, I also want to acknowledge like. Well, look, you know, if you don't have China doing this, then you don't have, like, other intergender wrestling later. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I agree. And China is literally volunteering to fight uh, The the Rock, you know what I mean, in in Austin. She's literally, we saw her the week before, like, volunteering. She wants to, like, she has agency in this, and she wants to compete in this sport. There is, right, it, it... There is no leap that needs to be made for China to compete in the main event for the WWF title against anyone on the roster. Now, I do believe, I believe that Charlotte Flair will be either the WWF champion or the Universal champion is is something that we will see at some point. But it's going to have to be against a very particular opponent in order to sell her as being able to overcome that. Because you're, Har- to... and... you're not going to see guys. Charlotte versus Braun Strowman for the Universal title, but uh, Charlotte versus Finn Balor, fuck yeah, sign me up. Daniel Bryan, yeah. So I mean, AJ Styles, and, <laughs> the, the, yeah. The, the list goes on, and I think that is something that we'll see. And I think that they that it could have been China could have definitely been the first woman main champion on the roster. I, I agree with that. I don't think she was as good of a worker as she I mean, will watch her continue to improve, but just given, I'm sure the sort of support and training she got and things like that. I, I don't know if she gets as smooth um, as, I mean, Charlotte is 
Just oh yeah, yeah. Charlotte is is maybe the the greatest rest like the greatest wrestler alive. Maybe. Yeah, Charlotte. Charlotte, can you you can and like she has a little bit more longevity still in her. I think I don't think we've even seen the best of Charlotte yet. Mm-hmm. But Charlotte can out. will like we'll we'll be talking about Charlotte Flair the way we talk about Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels um and her father i mean like i think we'll be talking about charlotte flair in the annals of history as like one of the greats regardless of of gender right because charlotte can make any opponent look great too if she wants to yeah she tells an incredible story i mean china can't do that whereas i think if but if china is put with somebody who can put her over that's when you're gonna see some real great magic out of her yeah we the best is still yet to come with china still but Mm -hmm. yeah it, it makes this stuff though like it's really hard. I thought, you know, and they were doing this obviously on purpose because they wanted to get to the conflict, but they had to do it in a way where the choice gets taken away basically from Ken Shamrock. That Triple H in China egg on Ken Shamrock to the point where he snaps, as he's already established as a character does, and gives her the belly to belly. Yeah, it was um, a real she had it coming type of thing. Also, he yelled fuck like three times and nobody like it wasn't censored or anything. I was like, yeah, I mean, does no one yeah. know that Shamrock is screaming fuck on this <laughs> like, into the camera, like on microphone with a subtitle? Like, what are we doing here? Like, it was so I, I found that very strange that that was not censored. Um. Also, by the way, China's music is really good. Yeah, no, what? Isn't China coming? I think her music's dope. Isn't she coming out to that same triple h like shitty music no no it's different shitty music and um i don't think does it have lyrics yet no it'll get lyrics but it is the music i recognized it It, and it is pretty well (laughs) well it's a channel perfect pitch eric silver everybody (laughs) thank you thank you all right i think we need to move on just because we've already been talking for like Two hours. Oh, you don't think three hours is good? The main event is a six-man tag, or is it a tag? Because I don't think I saw anyone tag each other in the entire match, where we've got uh, Vince, Rock, and Austin versus Shane, Undertaker, and Helmsley. Holy oh. shit, man. What a match. I mean, what a little... I mean, like, would you just say that out loud? Like, The Rock, Stone Cold, and, Steve, and, and Vince McMahon versus Shane McMahon, The Undertaker, and Triple H? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. On, on free-ass TV. It, uh, I wrote down that it felt to me like this is when uh, Magneto teamed up with the X-Men or like <laughs> Dr. Doom was with the Fantastic Four. Like I was like, what the fuck is happening? It was great. This was so fun. I liked um, Shawn Michaels' outfit for this refereeing. First of all, those were not shorts of any kind. That was like a straight up boxer brief that he was wearing where I can like literally trace the wrinkles on his scrotum. So it was like very strange that that was let on television. And he was dressed in a an aesthetic uh, that I think you guys are familiar with. Uh, it's one that I, I tend to embrace in the summertime. Uh, and, uh, it, I could say this. I can say this. Uh, trash faggot. That's how he was dressed, uh, which was this, like, <laughs> this like uh, that Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy sleeveless shirt, which I would love in a crop top. Uh, at these, and then basically in his underwear. He's are they like for the, sale? He's at the gay bar. No, I could not find them, so I went online, and I was like, Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy shirt. And I was like very excited to find, to like, I was like, I'll buy it. Um, they, I can't find them. I don't know how eBay works. I'm too, I'm, I'm too much of a boomer. I can't anymore. Uh, but what I did find it said, bizarrely enough. So, you know, I love these wrestling video games and they have very detailed creator wrestler suites. Um, and someone had recreated what Shawn Michaels wore to referee this match on the May 10th, <laughs> wow. 1999 war, uh, <laughs> wow. war zone. 
Like, I can't... Like, that dedication is insane to me. They literally recreated it exactly. The shorts, the tight little shorts, the shirt, they like imported the graphic into the fucking cloud so they could put the exact logo on the shirt. I was like, that's... People who do video game mods are the best. They're so fucking weird. It was... What a bizarre thing. I found that, but I can't find the shirt to wear. But that was my uh, thing that Shawn Michaels and I, I guess, share a fashion sense of some kind. So I I told Aaron, I I might custom make it on a website and order it myself later. Amazing. Did you guys know, by the way, that the back of the shirt... Did you notice that the back of the shirt was a 900 number? (laughs) Like you have to, you have to you pay have to, pay to pay call the, to the Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy. <laughs> they got to know you're serious. It's very you gotta wrestling. Out, you got to weed out all the people without him, without any money. Very wrestling. Uh, go to the finish on this one. Yeah, sure. Austin hits Shane with a stunner. Vince covers. Austin pulls him off. Hits uh, another stunner, and Austin takes the pin himself. Then uh, Austin and Sean share some beers, and you don't realize um, how natural Steve Austin looks pouring beer on himself until you watch Shawn Michaels try to do it. <laughs> Can't do it. Can't do it. And it's like, Austin doesn't care. Like, Austin's going to take that beer, and he's going to drink some of it. He's going to wear most of it, and he don't care where the beer goes. And that's what makes it so cool. Shawn Michaels is, like, creating a tiny little baby fountain into his pretty little boy mouth. And it was just quite a contrast. (laughs) Like, one is a rattlesnake, one is a boy toy. Okay? I had such a moment of sadness when... Remember when I I bought us all the Austin 316 shirts for our one-year anniversary? And I was like... This summer we're gonna we're gonna be outside somewhere oh. and we're all gonna do we're all gonna wear our shirts and do the Steve Austin pour beer on our faces. Well, next summer, <laughs> sure, sure, Eric. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. For our ten year reunion, we'll uh, we'll there do we it. Go. All right. But then our album art will be uh, Aaron as Kurt Angle, <laughs> <laughs> Eric as Brock Lesnar, and me as Randy Orton. And uh, Actually, my dick is on my wrist like a watch, and I'm pranking one of you. <laughs> I can't believe I have to be fucking Brock. The thumb. Actually, I, I feel like I, I think those were we the should... exact three okay. that I picked out when I was when I was picturing future album. I think it, it's only fair if we let Eric pick his next guy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he got to be Steve Austin this time. That's true. You got yeah, but one. you did get to be the Rock. I did. Yeah, you get the best ones for sure. I, I I'm happy with both of mine. I'm not I'm not complaining. But uh, well, you are a sexy anyway. boy, and you want everyone to suck it. So thank you. Yes, those are they do both feel the most. Those were the character. two reasons why I was like, that's Bobby. Yeah, I and mean, they already had the Shawn Michaels hat. I might as well <laughs> complete the whole look. All right, let's go to the final episode of Raw <laughs> that we're looking at. This is the May seventeenth episode. Um. As Kane and Mark Henry are fighting their way through the audience, the corporate ministry wait, makes their way out. I don't know if Shane says anything at this point. I'm so over these segments. It might as well, again, be a taker evil, evil, evil speech. Um, but they go to break into Vince's office. And Vince yells at Briscoe and Patterson to barricade the door. And then it cuts to Briscoe and Patterson as though they're in a completely different room. And they say, look in the closet for something to use. The closet is clearly a bathroom with sink 
as we've seen before, and includes The Undertaker, Triple H, and China. Um, bathrooms get repurposed in this play in this like world all the time. Everything a bathroom can be everything except a bathroom. <laughs> it just if you open the door and it's the Undertaker in there, you're like, oh, he used his spooky powers to teleport. But Triple H and China do not have any spooky powers. So we're just to assume that at some point the three of them have been hanging out in the bathroom together all this time. <laughs> it's also a giant bathroom. There's so much room in there. The lights go out, and then when we come back, we see Vince is out on a stretcher. And the ministry says we've got one down and two to go. Dan Marino's also here tonight. Lace is out, Dan. <laughs> so Austin comes out, and I, again, at this point, I couldn't even make out what Austin was saying. He just said ass whoop a whole bunch of times. He also he also uh, brought in, like, a catchphrase that I've heard him use only a couple times where he goes, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> Like it, it's so straight out of Seinfeld. It's like, yeah, I was. Uh, I asked him if I could have some toilet paper, and he goes, eh. <laughs> like, yada yada yada. What a weird thing for him to say. Um, so uh, Shane and the rest come out. They're about to go after Austin, but the Union shows up, thwarting them once again. Uh, then we get. Undertaker versus The Rock in a casket match. And let me say that again. On Monday Night Raw, we get Undertaker versus Rock in a casket match. And I don't know about the rest of you guys, but this is mostly notable to me because holy shit, does Triple H look awesome swinging a sledgehammer. Yep. And that will become a signature, obviously, throughout the years, but... We're finally seeing Triple H not in pants. He's got his little his little briefs on. Mm-hmm. Things are starting to finally gel, I feel like, for for, Paul, for good old Paul. So during the match, um, Triple H locks... Uh, or Triple H is the one who finally gets the rock into the casket, and then they lock the casket, and then Triple H just starts wailing on the fucking thing with a sledgehammer. After we'd already seen him hit the, the stage stairs, intimating that he'd hit the rock's um, broken arm. Which, was that a real thing? Like, did he actually have a broken arm at this point? I don't know. No, I, he wouldn't wrestle. Yeah. I assume so, but also, again, then again. get your head in the fucking toilet. What ruined Man, the, Aaron Benoit, biggest mark on the show. What <laughs> ruined this uh, whole segment for me is, you know, the casket's on, like, a, like a platform that has a curtain around it. And, you know... It's it's on an empty frame against the ring, basically, and you know the the false bottom of the casket, the so someone can get out, roll under the ring with anyone noticing. Mm-hmm. Not to not to uh, secrets revealed you or anything, but it, it got me because you fucking yeah, dummy. call me a fucking idiot when you say that, Bobby. You fuck. You thought the cat? Oh, you thought that was a real casket? You fucking dumb baby. Well, let me tell you something. Underneath, that's not even a fucking table. It's just an empty frame. You <laughs> dumb shit. So that casket's getting pizza later. <laughs> but Triple H like rips the skirt off of that like frame and you can see it's just like an empty you're like, oh, the illusion is ruined. We know that he's like not in this casket. And obviously I knew that already, but I mean it kinda kinda showed the seams there for me a bit. Um so 
a couple of things, right? So first of all, the sledgehammer is great, but like also the way it hit, I was like, that sledgehammer head is definitely a chew toy, right? Yeah, it's for like, sure. They made just of had like... to remove the thing that goes like squeak, squeak. Yeah, it's definitely made of like stress ball material. Uh, I also think, like in general, I think it's a. I think the world of, um. The world of WWF is very funny when when it comes to like beating somebody mercilessly where they're like, you know how I'm going to really beat you? I'm going to put you in this thing that's very protective and then I'm going to hit that thing so hard and boy, are you going to get even more hurt than if I hit you if you were not in that thing. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, yes. You, one would think that, that there would be enough cover. A hundred percent. But more i think it's more impressive for me to see what triple h does to that casket than it would to to see triple h pummel an actual human being with a sledgehammer yeah because there's no way they would get close to the level of rage that triple h is able to do on an empty casket if he was even faking it on a on a person just laying on the ground Mm -hmm. if even with the cell it just like would this was it wasn't the casket didn't look cool at all. Like I feel like you could tell it was empty once it started breaking, but Triple H wailing on it looked cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, is that like does the casket take an Allen wrench to close? <laughs> I was wondering that too. I was like, is this casket from IKEA? <laughs> but I think that's exactly that's what the the things that the uh, the um the I'm saying Paul bearers, but uh. The funerary workers. I think that's that's exactly what a, a casket lot looks like. I guess I, I've never been allowed to uh, do the fastening. It's kind of one of those things that they don't let the family mm-hmm. do. It sucks, right? Like, oh, all I get is the limo ride. Um, another thing I thought was funny was when they were doing their commercials and they were like, like literally there was a shot of the casket and they're like, this is brought to you by Chef Boyardee. <laughs> I was like... Are you guys sure that you want to go with this? Beefy. But then again, we see um, now the Rock is is the one who's... The the, the ambulance is making a lot of stops there that night. The Rock is bloodied backstage, and he's getting loaded in. Uh, We got a Big Show versus Boss Man match that just kind of ends in... um, As uh, the brawl makes its way backstage, and then we see the Ministry driving off and the Union following them. And then the main event, it, and uh, the 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 ministry is in a black car, and uh, the union's in a white car. Oh my I don't know god! If you got the um... that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Oh god, that's so dumb. There's a little bit of symbolism <laughs> there. Do you think this is symbolic of something? <laughs> what does it all mean? But then the main event, Triple H versus Austin, and I mean, just again, holy shit! For a free TV match, this is great. It's great right up until the taker symbol starts to lower. And you're like, oh, God, okay, here we go. Uh, there was a lot about that that ending. So, like, you know, taker, taker winds up, like, you know, uh, Austin, like, winds up handcuffing Taker to the symbol. So Taker's hoist, foisted upon his own petard. Is um, that what a petard is? But... What'd you call him? Well... <laughs> the, sorry the p word um i think like right isn't it hoisted upon hoisted on your own petard yeah. isn't that what it is yep 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what a petard. Yeah, what is a petard? Uh, Do you know what a petard is? It was it was um, an old explosive device, I believe. And so it. <laughs> I'm what? pretty sure that this is accurate. Okay, well, my my the main no, but, point but I was going to uh, make yeah, was... a small bomb. Uh, made of metal or wooden box filled with power used to blast down a door or make a hole in a wall. So if you have a petard... So how do you get hoisted you, on it? You, if you got... The, the, the petard explodes in front of you, then you would get hoisted in the air? I don't know. I, I thought this was like more of like the old days of like, um, you know, uh, the, the, like, like the three musketeers. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like... You're put up on you're you're lifted up on your like it's like um your asshole on a pole match. <laughs> but my point is, who is operating the the symbol? Literally, same question. Like, right? Like, like, okay, you know, you brought the symbol in, man. You must work for the ministry. Uh, you just saw that the head of the ministry <laughs> is on the symbol. Why are you lifting it up? What's going on? Don't ask me. I just lift the symbol. I don't ask who's on it. <laughs> <laughs> As long as you pay my paycheck, you know? They tell you me... Get, you get one more hour of overtime. Guy gets on the symbol, I put the symbol up. That's all I know. <laughs> uh, you you want you want symbol hoisted? Okay. So, yeah. So, the uh, the stage is set, is set for several matches at Over the Edge, but it's going to be a little while before we get to that. Next week, we've, we're it- looking at... Sorry, Bobby, did you have something you want to say before I start moving towards the other? I would just say one more, uh, just building onto that. I'm saying, like, uh, in a lot of ways, I feel like this one single month that we watched here uh, between pay-per-views, I feel like this sets up truly the stories for the year. When I was, like, kind of, like, looking through, I was like, wow, so many so many of these interactions and things that are being set in place now, um, we're going to be watching unfold for the most of 1999. <laughs> I think that's cool. I think mean, now we move so quickly, you know, pay-per-view is like a fresh start, new challenger, whatever, or, you know, depending if they have the uh, three, a series of three already, it's, uh, it's like so predictable. And you know what, off of that, Bobby, it's kind of, it's dumb that this wasn't, first off, we, we can agree that Backlash was better than WrestleMania 15, right? Yeah. I think most people would agree yeah. with that. And I think that, that all the stuff that's happening in this month is a better, like, after WrestleMania kind of, like, reset mode kind of thing. Really feels like they should have, like, bumped it up a little bit. But, again, I guess I'm quibbling about something 20 years later. I was all about. Isn't that what this podcast <laughs> is? <laughs> I take it back. Yeah, I just like this sort of, like, big world-building stuff. You know, one of the things we, we were so excited by when we first started this was, like, these sort of um, pay-per-view opening packages that were, like, setting the stage for, like, here is the state of the union right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, no pun intended with the union we're talking about this week. But, like, here's, like, what's affecting everything. Like, And, and if there was a dark, evil force taking over the company, everyone would have a vested interest into how it turns mm-hmm. out. And we'll see what, how it turns out in a few weeks. Um, ne- next week, we're going to be looking at the uh, the UK pay-per-view. And then, sorry to say this, Eric, we need to do um, a tribute to a fallen wrestler the following week. Oh, no. Yep, we've finally gotten there. Uh, 
Well, I have to let you know, um, I went on eBay and I found a certain tape. Ugh. So that's a terrible Ugh. joke. No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, love us, or how could you after all that disagree, want to... Call Mark Canterbury, Southern Justice Problem Solver. Want to get 51 shares of our company? Sure. <laughs> Let us know. Email us at helenacellphone at gmail.com. Get updates on Facebook or Twitter at Pod, or tweet at us individually. Eric at Prime Silver, Bobby at Bobby Hank, and Aaron at Slow Pass. Our theme song is There Are Traitors in Our Mitts by Disco Vietnam and our artist by Alexis Yavni. Find links for both in our episode notes. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again next week with No Mercy 1999.